Welcome to Deep Well Astrology. I'm Allison Disler, a psychological astrologer and somatic educator. And in this podcast, we'll explore how astrology can illuminate our embodied consciousness and nourish our soul. Welcome back, or welcome to Deep Well Astrology, where we dive into psychological astrology for insights to embodied consciousness. How do we live well? How can astrology aid us as a tool for growing down into this life as an embodied experience? All questions worth chewing on and each potentially a podcast into itself. Today is Thursday, March 24th, and the sun is officially in Aries, breaking up and breaking out of the Pisces spell. I don't know about you all, but it's been nice to see where I live, all of a sudden little signs of spring popping out and up within the last week. The grass is a bit greener, the buds a bit further along, daffodils are smiling, present, and our magnolia flowers are bloomed out on some of the trees. The energy of emergence is now co-present with our other continual astrological energies, Neptune in Pisces and Jupiter there too, conjunct. It's a big, dreamy or delusional stellium there. And Mars and Venus are still approaching their conjunction with Saturn in Aquarius, the sign of restructuring or of new order. Not to mention with a little surprise or shake-up lightning energy from Uranus, which always offers new direction, surprises, and sudden changes of events. We've been in this Pisces-Aquarius signature for a while now. Two signs that live next door to each other and have lots going on, but don't really see each other. It's like two neighbors who are living right next door to each other with completely different agendas in kinds of households. Both powerfully exist, but don't directly relate. This is our Pisces and Aquarius situation. Something very big, watery, dreamy, illusory, and or imaginative. A dream, a reverie, and something that is turbulent, potentially shaking or innovative, that is centered around structures breaking down, is asking us to consider then, what is the new structure or what is the ideal path? So I welcome the shift of the sun into Aries to freshen things up a bit, to bring a little bit of spontaneity, even naivety or newness into the scene. What house does Aries occupy for you? Is something be awakened or freshened up for you this week? Maybe something has just woken up or been illuminated for you. Today, for this podcast, the moon is in exploratory Sagittarius, which is a nice sign to occupy as we expand into this topic of astrologically informed self-care. And we're going to start to look at our moon signs for guidance. As a psychological astrologer, I read the moon to have several meanings in our chart. One of those foundational meanings is that the moon shows and guides us into our needs around nourishment and fulfillment. And by fulfillment, I don't mean that about desires being filled. 
I mean that as a satiation, a satiation level, similar to the way food satiates our hunger. We may desire a certain kind of food, that is preference, and preference is ruled by Venus. But primal hunger and the basic desire to eat, to feel something, to feel satiated, is in the realm of the moon. The moon travels in a 28-day cycle around our whole natal chart. This means that the moon spends about 2.25 days in each house of our natal chart monthly. If you were born, for example, with a moon in Aries, that moon will be in Aries for around 54 hours around your birth time. Another way of saying this is that every 2.25 days, the moon changes sign, so it goes relatively quick. It moves in our chart about 12 to 13 degrees a day. The man, the moon is the planetary ruler for the zodiac sign of Cancer. So if you are a Cancer rising, your chart ruler is the moon. And if your moon is in the sign of Cancer, it is quite at home and comfortable there. There are other signs where the moon is not as comfortable, and we'll talk more about that later. In our body, the moon rules over our stomach, our sleep, our lymph, and fluid systems. Some would also say our breasts, bladder, and bowels. I like to place all these ideas together into the theme of the fluids of the body. Consider also saliva and gastric juices here. The one fluid system that may be outside lunar influence or only partially influenced, I'd say, is the circulatory system, or blood, because of its correlation with the heart, ruled by the sun, and circulation, which is often under Mercury's rule. The blood and circulatory system and heart seem to be co-ruled and shared by several influences, in my opinion. With this being said, we can already see a correlation between the moon and the important pieces of our physical body in the digestive and nutritive process. Other items and topics that correspond with the moon are places of rest and restoration, like hotels, restaurants, and homes, places that people go to sleep or eat. Also, bodies of water like beaches, ponds, and things having to do with water like boats or aquariums. With the water theme in mind, the moon corresponds also with cruciferous veggies and cabbage, water plants, seaweed, and other watery foods like cucumbers. And perhaps one of the most familiar lunar correspondences is the womb and women in general, midwives, and those who steward hospitality, such as homemakers or caterers, cooks, and hotel managers. These are just a few of the moon's correspondences in our earthly realm. There are others, depending on what category of items we're looking at. The moon generally rolls over nocturnal life, plants, and animals, and you can bet that places such as marshes or wetlands also carry a strong lunar connection. Out of all the correspondences we've talked about so far, do you feel connected with any of those? Can you get a sense and feel for the lunar vibe or energy?
some of us feel compelled by or intimately influenced by the moon. Many of us have firsthand experience of the moon feeling influential in our life, whether it is through our monthly menstrual cycle or working in a hospital, hotel, or other industry that deals with groups of people. In my 20s, I worked at an early education and childcare facility, and it seemed that every time a full moon came around, it was extraordinarily difficult to help the children lay down and fall asleep for their naps. They wanted to stay awake. Anyone else relate something like that to the moon? Generally put, the moon not only rules over our biological processes of digestion and sleep-wake cycles, but also groups and crowds of people. Collective madness and collective ecstasy are also things ruled by the moon. So how do we take these general meanings and make them more significant and personal to us? We were each born with the moon in one of its eight phases and under a sign of the zodiac. And that moon we were born under is located in a house in our natal chart. For the purposes of this podcast unfolding, we'll look at the moon sign and houses as keys to understand our unique nourishment style and needs. It is important to note here that the moon not only represents what we need to feel satiated, or what kinds of food we need to feel nourished, but also our original perception of the mother or mother figure and our emotional processing style. It is an incomplete picture of the moon to leave out its relevance to our early maternal learnings and emotional makeup, and I think some astrologers would say that our nourishment needs and style, early perception of the mother or maternal figure, and emotional processing style are all linked. I tend to lean in that direction. But for the purposes of the general podcast, I am choosing to focus on the tangible topic of nourishment in the present moment, in the day-to-day self-care inquiries that we are living day-to-day. For most of us, the perception or real lived experience with our mother or caregiving figure or lack thereof, has deeply informed what our bodies, cells, and mind believes about nourishment, about its availability, its ease of access, substance, meaning, and qualities. As we move forward focusing on the moon and nourishment, know that we have all had a very different early lineage of how we learned about nourishment, what was modeled to us, what generation we grew up in, and how culture informed our ideas about nourishment. This means, once again, that some of us will immediately understand and recognize our needs and developmental patterns around nourishment. And others of us may have to work at even opening to the question of ourselves and to ourselves, how did I embody or learn about nourishment and satiation? Who taught me? Where am I now with nourishing myself? And what does nourishment mean to me personally and authentically? If you have a moment now, you might like to take one of those prompts or one of those ideas to your journal and spend a little bit of time writing about it. 
What is your connection with nourishment? Where did that come from? Do you know your moon sign and house? If not, take a moment to head over to something like astro.com to put in your birth date and time and, and generate a chart. That is a free service. There, There's so many places out there now that you can do your chart and just look for the symbol of the moon. Um, see what sign it's in. And then if you can, also see what house it's in. In traditional astrology, the moon was said to be in domicile or home in Cancer, and the moon is exalted in Taurus. Simply put, these are places the moon feels at home with or comfortable, kind of like when you come home to your own house. All your stuff is there, and you can kick off your shoes and relax. It is familiar. It's a place that the moon can recognize and be itself. The moon is in detriment in the opposite of Cancer, and that sign is Capricorn. And the moon is in its fall in the opposite of Taurus, and this is Scorpio. These are the signs that the moon is less innately comfortable in. Sort of like the moon is going to someone else's house and realizes that it is not as familiar or cozy there. It's not quite like being at home, somewhat like being in a, in a foreign place. In all other signs, the moon can be moderate or ambivalent or generally functional or comfortable, but maybe not necessarily at home. It just knows how to work in that terrain. We might call the other houses or the other signs of the zodiac neutral places of visitation for the moon, a place that is neither extremely comfortable nor uncomfortable. With all this being said, I believe that a moon's relationship to our nourishment style and needs has only a little bit to do with the condition or essential dignity of the moon. I have found that it's equally as true for a moon in Scorpio to know what it needs to feel satiated and nourished as it is for a moon in Taurus. They're very different needs but both can be intimately listened to and understood in a way that brings a deeply satisfying relationship to nourishment. Another affirming way to say this is that all moons can be nourished and can work, even if you have a moon that is in technically detriment or fall. And each moon can benefit and nourish our embodied zodiacal self. And even those of us who do have moon in a domicile or moon in its exaltation, we must remember that the moon is often correlated with other planets in our chart. So even some of us who do own a moon in Taurus or a moon in Cancer that feels at home there, it's also mingling and correlating with other relationships in the chart that might put up some friction to that moon. That means that we can't just look at the moon sign to know how our nourishment and nourishing ourselves is going to go. But in the following episodes, we are going to try to distill out the essential qualities of each moon 
and their house locations to give us a little bit of a breadline, to give us some guidance to how our moons may operate and how we can access that wisdom in order to create a deeper relationship with nourishment in our life and within our self-care practices. Until next time, breathe deep, linger long.